Hello, everybody. Welcome back. This is Julie Bates with the podcast Training the Pointing Labrador, episode number 181. And it's just a few days before Christmas. So anyone that's listening to this real time currently, uh, I'd personally like to wish everybody that takes their time to listen to some of these things uh, the best, best, best of the holidays and, and Christmas. And I hope that there's loved ones around you and that you're healthy <laughs> and looking forward to things. And I know we all hoping that 2022 will be a, a little bit of an uptick on the last year or two. So I, I wish that for everybody and their animals. And I hope it's a, a much better year for, for all of us. So uh, today's is going to be a single topic that I uh, alluded to before. I am going to, after a, a brief uh, G update, going to talk about the staying in gun range or basically having your dog stay with you, not at a heel position, but whether you're hiking or hunting, it doesn't really make any difference. Well, it does, but still what I'm going to talk about applies. How do you have a dog stay with you in a kind of a range that you're comfortable with, whatever that is, without you having to constantly remind them and tell them and make noise and just constantly be on top of them. So I'd like to, I, that's a way early podcast that I did and I listened to it because I sent it to somebody I wanted to hear it. And, and I, I spent, uh, I'd like to reemphasize a few different things than I did uh, a couple years ago on that. So I'm going to talk about that one. And then that'll be followed on the next one. Uh, this is going to be about keeping your dog in gun range. We're giving them the responsibility of staying with you, not you. And then from that point, I want to again go through the deep chase. Because as simple as it seems, it, I just don't feel like it. I always get it across correctly to people if I'm not right there with them. I've had a lot of fun when I get to go do it with people and then they see it <laughs> and they just, they're like, oh, that's what you're talking about. So that'll be the next one. But this one's going to be on getting a dog to stay with you. You, you need this before really you have the de-chase. Otherwise, uh, things are a little bit out of context. Um, G update. We did Upland last week. Um, I am very, very happy with G and her sister as well but what g did we did up and last week and uh you know at first she would hold until you got close and then she would bust the bird up but she's chased so she wouldn't chase it and then i got her where she'd stay on point until the gun went off and then she just was convinced she could go on the gun so now i either have absolute perfection where she goes on point doesn't move go in and flush the bird, shoot it. She doesn't move. She waits to be sent. <laughs> and then always we got one bird out in the field where she's just not going to quite make all that effort. And so she encounters it. I don't know whether she's just getting way amped up or what it is, but she's just sort of blunders into it. It's, it's not a pointed and produced bird. It's a blundered into bird. So something's going on in her little head where she's just, I don't know, going nuts or something. <laughs> So that's, I got to get that one kind of worked out a little bit. Her sister, on the other hand, now is uh, stopping on and, and pointing. And now she's doing the same thing, just going in, busting in on that bird. And I courted her one couple times. And I was not strong enough to hold her after she decided to go. So 
kind of going to go back to a couple other ideas on that, and I'll let everybody know. So that's where we are with her. On their marks and blinds, they're steady. Uh, they can run blinds right smack through the middle of everything. Not like they will, you know, six months from now. But really, they, they go, they stop, they take the casts. We did a poison bird blind. Uh, for anybody that doesn't know what that is, that's where the dog sees a mark and they don't go get the mark. They move slightly and they go get a blind retrieve and then come back and, and get the mark. And they both did it um, and pretty nicely, too. They're like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure? Yeah, I'm not supposed to go over there. I always go get birds I saw. And I was like, no, really, I want you to go the other way. And they did. So these guys are going to be good. I'm real, really happy with them. Just, just, uh, still working on this point and stuff so now on to the topic of the day of the of the podcast and that is how do you get a dog to move with you through a field when you're hunting through the mountains when you're hiking you know when you're just walking through the green belt over to somebody else's house hey it, it's, it's a there's a similarity to all of that how do you get a dog to believe that there is a range in which they're allowed to go out and hunt and, you know, look for stuff. And if they're hunting, obviously they know what they're doing. If you're hiking, they're just out enjoying everything with you and looking for stuff. How do you get the dog to take the responsibility to stay within a, a, a range that you define? Now, there's a lot of people that like to argue and debate about what range is the right range. And that's just like arguing about what color of shirt's the best color to wear. It just depends on many, many things. How, you know, what you like, where you go, what you do with your dog, what your particular style is. So I'm not telling anybody this is how you have to, what you have to do. But I will tell you how to get the dog to stay in that range when you are, uh, when you're working with them. Now, most of the dogs that I train, the pointing dogs, either one, flushing a point is exactly the same. Obviously, with a flushing dog, it has to be gun range <laughs> for obvious reasons. Because if they're out of gun range and they flush a bird, you watch it fly away. Better have them de-chased <laughs> on that one. So, regardless of uh, what particular reason you're doing this, uh, let's talk about how we teach a dog to take the responsibility for it. A lot of people know what range they want their dog in you know if you if you if you have a young pointing dog I, I don't know why you would let them go 300 yards out because you can't see what's happening or you can't control what's happening or they learn to chase birds a lot so when you're teaching a dog what the expected behaviors are uh, it's much easier to do when they're in a reasonable range with you than when they're a long ways away but I'll leave that to people that like to do that for a dog to take responsibility, there's a number of steps in their head through which you have to go to get this. The first thing you have to have is a dog that has obedience and is collar conditioned. And are, they are collar conditioned, in, not in a punitive way, but in a way basically on sit and on here, so that they understand that they can control that pressure by responding to the command you give. So a very good job of collar conditioning, which requires a very good job on basic obedience, because as I spent in the first podcast, a lot of detail into this stuff, and I'm not gonna do it, 
you have to introduce them to training pressure, mechanical, with a leash or a healing stick or something, so that they learn how to control training pressure with mechanical things, like a jerk on the leash or a little pop on the bottom. They learn to respond, makes all of that never happen. And then you replace that with an appropriate level of, uh, of pressure from the electric collar. And the electric collar is necessary for this. You cannot do it without it. This is one of the reasons that regardless of what people's opinions of electric collars are, I will always use them. And <clears throat> this is one of the primary reasons and places I would do this so that I have this tool to communicate and teach some things that are basically life-saving for uh, the dog and also bird-saving for the hunters. So you have very good obedience where they understand how to control mechanical pressure. You transfer that over so they understand with just hear and sit how to control training pressure again by responding to hear. It's very important. Everybody you know, really likes to work on that sit, but hear is very important. when they need to, And it needs to be verbal and with the whistle. So that you have either one. So whistle sometimes when they, you, you don't want to yell or scream or maybe you can't get it loud enough. You need to have a, a, a sound that gets out to where they are when they're running through heavy cover or they're out of breath and they're really panting hard. You have to have the whistle that will do that. So, and here is very important. So your collar conditioning is the first key that you have to have. And to have that, you have to have very good mechanical obedience. So you have a dog that understands the electric collar and knows how to control it and, res and respond to it and, and, and re really gets what you're trying to get, which is just respond when I give you the command. Right? Now, once you have that, what you want to do is go out into the field and do what I call the field collar conditioning. And that's, a, I believe, a, a section in the book that I have on that. So your dog is collar conditioned. They understand that. So you have the collar on, and you guys go out in a real field, right? You have to be out. You can't be, you know, on the soccer field necessarily. It, 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 particularly if you're doing this for your upland hunting, you need to be somewhere that's a little bit natural so that this is akin to what they're going to be doing when you're hunting. But I would do it too, even if you're just going to be a hiker or something, because you're going to be amongst the rocks and the trails and stuff. So it's important. So you go, you walk through the field. Now, if you come right out of, off of collar conditioning in the yard doing to obedience and you go out in the field, they're going to tend to heal with you. They're like, you know, it's just safer by your side. And that's okay. You just have to wait that out until they relax because they're just trying to be good dogs. And you cannot get upset or put pressure on them to get out in front of you when they're trying really hard to do what they think is the right thing. That's important important that you recognize and understand that. So if you just collar condition them and you're walking out there and they're just walking with you, don't be, get angry and start trying to push them and encourage them to get out because they're just not going to understand. They're going, no, no, no. I just learned to heal and sit in here, uh, you know, and, and do it very sharply. So that's just what I'll do. So you got to wait that out until they begin to relax. I know that's probably 75 percent of the dogs that I collar condition and then do the field conditioning <laughs> I we're just walking through the field together probably for a week or two until they finally relax and realize we can go back out here if you have done the walk with your puppy 
before all this formal training started, that's not very hard to get back to. If this dog has never walked through a field with you relaxed and looking around at stuff, and so you're trying to teach that at the same time you're teaching them that they got to respond to you all the time, it's going to take more time. All the more reason on these puppies to do that walk. So they understand the joy and the pleasure of going through the field with you, staying with you, watching where you're going, all without any pressure at all, just because they're too little to do anything else. Now when you go back out again and they, they know that, they've had that experience, they can relax pretty quickly and get out there and start to do like they did before, get out, look around, explore, do stuff. All right, now, once you've got them where you can go back in the field, they've got their live collar on, you have your voice and your whistle, and now we're going to begin to teach them a couple things. First, we're going to teach them what the range is that they, they, you don't want them to go any farther. And that is roughly, roughly a gun range. I don't, I don't know, maybe 15 or 20 yards, something like that. Something where, okay, that's about as far as I'm going to let them get. So the first thing that we have to do is <clears throat> show them what that range is and make sure they understand it. Do dogs measure and do yards? No, they do not. Do they have a very innate sense about spacing from other living things? Yes, they do. So they are able to do this. So you're going to go out. You've got them relaxed now. They'll walk out and look around and enjoy themselves and they're relaxed, not worried about anything. And you have this, this distance. And I'll say one more time for those of you that like your pointing dogs, 200 yards or however far out they need to be, still do this. Yes, once you've taught them to take some responsibility for their positioning with you, and once they get solid on pointing, which doesn't rare, usually happen right out, right out of the chute here, it's very easy to expand the range. Very easy to expand the range. All you got to do is just encourage it and, and let them do it when it comes when they get good enough. It's very hard to contract a range when you let them just run loose and wild. Puppy stuff, yeah. But, but they, even then on the walk, they don't get too far from you on the walk. So the walk is the savior again on this stuff. Like I told you, it's the most powerful training tool I've ever had. So we're going to go with a shorter range right now because we're teaching a concept to the dog. When they're two years old and three and four and five and six, they can range out however, for pointing dogs, however you'd like. For your flushing dogs, they need to have a gun range and it needs to be for their whole life and they need to stay within it. Preferably without you making a ton of noise or having to always constantly uh, correct them and inform them what they're doing. So we're going to go out, you've got this range and it needs to be kind of a, a gut feel. You got to, you know, oh, that's just... And so now what you're going to go on your walk out in the field, enjoying it. They're relaxed. They're out there a little bit. And you're going to, one, begin to sh now show them that's far enough. So before, please hear this. For all the people that have asked me over all these years, what do I do when my dog goes too far while they're hunting? Well, do this and you won't ever have to ask that question. Before the dog gets outside of this magic range, whatever it is, you're 15 yards or your 20 yards, before the dog passes that point, you tweet, tweet, or I, I hop, 
<clears throat> I like to hop. I like a verbal. I also have the whistle if I need it. If they can't hear the verbal because of wind or excitement or heavy cover or whatever it is. But those are interchangeable. I have a hop. And it's a little sharp, quick thing like that. Hop. It's not a slow, dragged out thing. And, and I will also use the whistle. They have been collar conditioned on the whistle. And they know what that is. So I'll use the whistle a little bit. And I'll put some hops in there too. And I will. And if they don't, when I whistle or, or let them know that they need to come toward me, I now can enforce it with the collar, with a, with a nick or something low. Assuming they aren't chasing a bunny somewhere, and this is a good time to de-bunny. But we're going to do a whistle or a hop and teach them. Don't, you know, that's far enough. That's far enough. You do that for two or three days, and you don't use the, in the beginning, you don't use the collar. You only use the collar if you have to. If you tweet, tweet, and they ignore you and continue in a direction, okay, now you can tweet, tweet, nick, like you did on collar conditioning, and they understand what that means. And then you, you just continue. You don't call them all the way back to you. Nobody wants a dog that comes in to them all the time while you're upland hunting or hiking. They, they just want you to, them to, you want the dog to stay with you. So as soon as they begin to get close to that, what the range is, we're going to tweet, tweet. We're going to hop. We're going to let them know. But we're not calling them anymore. We're not multiple tweet, tweets and calling them in. We are stopping their momentum. We're stopping their inertia so that before they get out of gun range. And in the beginning, they're like, what, what? And just keep walking, just relax as can be, and you continue going. And they'll get, they'll move out there again. And so before they get outside your magic range, whatever that is, now you got the tweet, tweet, or the hop. And again, if they don't respond, tweet, tweet again with the nick and teach them. I told you no further. Dogs get that, and I can say this confidently, within two days. You do that for two days, and you, it, the collar shouldn't be used in a in a 20-minute or a 30-minute walk more than two or three times, if that. Okay, because they this this is just you. There's not birds. You don't have a gun. We're not hunting. We're just taking a walk through the field. But when they hit that range, wherever it is, you do your tweet, tweet, or hop and use pressure if you have to. So pretty soon, you're when you're doing this now, you've gone a couple days and they're doing really good. And every time you hop or tweet, tweet, they stop their momentum in one direction and change it to another. So that's good. However, what you're going to find on day three and four as you're doing this is that now they they're waiting to be told. They're still waiting to be told. They're going out wherever they want, and then when they get right close to that magic range, then here you are reminding them. So now we make a change in what we're doing. Now when you're out and you're taking your walk and they are going to get out of range if you let them, now we're going to tweet, tweet, or hop with a nick. Just just with it with some pressure so so now they're learning they, they're like wow well, okay geez you didn't even give me a chance that's right so we keep going again we're walking you know and they they stop or even if they come back to them just to you just ignore just keep going walking keep them relaxed about this stuff and if they start to go out of range again they're not out of range they're just about to cross it 
Now we're going to come in with another hop or tweet tweet with a Nick. It's like, I already told you. I told you that not to do that. And what you will find after about day four or five on that is they don't go that far anymore. They'll go roughly just about to range, and then they move or turn around and just give you a, a look, but they stop going out of range. And so if you went for several days and, and went through the field and they stayed in gun range, it's going to be, okay, the fourth day after that, they're going to find out again. They're going to kind of relax and, ooh, that's a good smell, and I just think I'm just going to go explore that. Okay, we're going to come in with a hup nick or a tweet tweet nick right there. It's like, I already told you that's too far. Now, you don't do it. When you go out for your 20 or 30-minute walk on this, even when we're putting pressure on them now, the first time, not even giving them a chance, in a, in a 20 or 30-minute time, again, two or three times at most, unless you just have a wild hunyak that is going to take a little bit more, then pretty soon you'll notice you don't have to say anything and they stay in with you and staying in range. And if you do that with some consistency for a few weeks, it becomes second nature to them. Now, people hunt different styles. <laughs> I realize that. Uh, you know, I, I, I judge a fair amount in the APLA, and, and, uh, and there's some very interesting things that people do that I wouldn't do. Doesn't mean it's wrong. I just wouldn't do. I like to just move through a field uh, on a, giving the dog all the opportunity to encounter birds in the field that we're hunting, so we're on the downwind side, and we don't just, we don't, I don't let them go where they want. Um, I just, I, I don't do that. I need to cover the field, particularly if you compete. But if you're hunting, you know, and you're doing this whole food plot or this whole corn area or this whole CRP, you don't just go stand in it and have the dog run around. I mean, you could have, they'll be bumping birds on the wrong side. There's all kind of things that happen. Ideally, you do kind of want to get them where they're downwind of stuff, and then they're going to find things. And if you're hunting a big area, you actually need to cover it. So you move continuously at whatever speed you move, and the dog moves continuously with you, whatever speed you move, staying in gun range so that you never have to make any sounds. So it's really that simple. So I'm going to kind of just revisit that a little bit again right there. you got to have good obedience so they understand how to control training pressure on here and on sit. And then when you collar condition the dog, you replace the pressure on here and sit with the uh, collar pressure. And they learn that they can control it. It's not a punishment. It's n just an enforcement. And when they respond to what you say, what you ask them, that's been clearly taught, there's never any training pressure. And we take that philosophy out into the field. And the first thing we do when they are relaxed and will go out in front of us and around us and enjoy themselves, they'll always be using the wind. Every dog, my wiener dog uses the wind. All dogs use the wind. So whether you're hunting or hiking, be aware of the wind because that's where the dog gets a lot of data and a lot of information. We're going to first show them where, how far we're going to let them go. We're just going to show them that. And that takes several days. And at first, you just tell them by whistling or calling them. 
<clears throat> but actually, the hop or the whistle is better. N not a here, because that means come to me. But a tweet, tweet, or a hop is like, all right. And then if they don't respond, now we follow it up with reinforcement pressure. We're teaching, so we're not just going to be using the collar. They're too far, tweet, tweet. And they, if they don't respond, we're going to enforce too far, tweet, tweet. Until they understand, you know, hey, I, I'm really not supposed to go any further than this. Once they understand that, and they're not, but they don't really think they absolutely have to do it, now we're going to go out, once they understand that, and as soon as they begin to hit gun range, don't let them commit the crime, when they're just about to commit the crime, is when we're going to hup nick or tweet tweet nick. We're going to put pressure immediately. I've already told you that's too far. And when you do that for just a couple days, you will be amazed at how quickly they get that and stay with you. And when they're young, you know, they will get that. But when they get wound up, you know, just like G. G gets very wound up sometimes. I mean, she's just like she just took a big hit of, on a crack pipe. Uh, actually, it would be more of a checker pipe. And she just gets, and I got to make sure she stays in gun range. And if just a hupnick or whatever is real good, and she kind of gets it all back gathered up again. So that's how you teach these dogs to take the responsibility themselves to stay with you in the direction you're going without you having to constantly whistle and tell them. So for those of you that think you have a dog that stays in range, if you are constantly telling them with either a verbal or a whistle, then you are keeping them in gun range and you are doing all the work. And on a fully trained dog, you do not have to do that. But dogs have to be taught that it's their responsibility. And if they're not, then we constantly, that's a, in the last one, you know, on the, on the collar, do you buzz them or beep them or do anything when they're getting too far? And it's like, well, and I said I don't for several reasons. One of them is I don't have to because they, I teach my guys, that's too far. And when they, when they are about to commit the crime again, there is a, a, a hop or a tweet tweet with pressure. In other words, there's a consequence for breaking a rule, breaking the understanding that we have clearly spent a couple weeks setting up. So when they do that, that's the consequence. You can't teach that way. But once they understand, hey, this is as far as you want me to go, now when they choose to break that, then <clears throat> you, there's a consequence. And that's the hupnick or the tweetnick. Tweet at whatever level of enforcement is meaningful to the dog. So if you're over there on a one or a two real low setting, you know, that probably, you know, if there's something real exciting or tempting, probably not going to break through, you know, and really get to them. So it has to be some level where they go, okay, gotcha. I'm not going to do that. So then the question I often get at this point is, all right, yes, but what if they're on scent of a bird? Okay. You got to, one, know your dog, and two, what are you hunting? If you're running, if you're hunting pheasant in South Dakota and they get whiff of a running bird, I'm pretty sure you probably don't want them going after it, <laughs> particularly your flushing dogs. You can't have a flushing dog out of gun range, period. 
right? It just doesn't work because then they're flushing stuff where nothing can happen, but the bird is flushed. If you have them dechased, which is the next thing I'll go over, then they're going to just sit there and watch it go away. And that doesn't have to happen. Teach flushing guys to stay in gun range, and that way you guys are always have a good chance at harvesting whatever you came to do. But if a dog, if say you have a pointing dog and a real reliable one, if there's a running bird, um, depending on what that bird does, they could be out of sight. They could be running half a mile away. There could be a lot of things. So you might, in general, just a running bird is almost like a flying bird. It's like, this. no, we don't go after those unless you send them. And if you send them after it, then they'll go. But you really, in my opinion, just my opinion, you know, a running bird is like a flying bird. It, it's, uh, you can't really, you can't shoot it on the ground. And if it just keeps going, then the dog is out of your range. And if they can't, if it never stops for them to point it, if you get a real good pointer, then the dog is gone, the bird is gone, and the whole thing is kind of falling apart. So in general, no matter how tempting something is out there, you need, before even you get there, you need to teach your dog what the range is with you. You need to teach them that. And once you've done that, I don't think you'll ever go back to not doing that. Because it's just really nice to have a dog that is taking the responsibility themselves to stay with you. And if you change direction, to change direction with you. Um, again, that should have been taught in the walk. So now all we're doing is just doing the range. But to have a dog that really believes it's their responsibility. No, they don't run back to you all the time. They don't turn around and stare at you all the time. Most of the time, they don't even have to look at you. They just know. They just know where you are. And they just respond to that. And it becomes, like I've talked to before, and I know a lot of people listening to this know what I mean when I say, then there's the music playing. And you both are hearing the same tune. And you both are singing the same chorus. And there doesn't have to be any sound. There doesn't have to be whistles. There doesn't have to be electricity frying. There doesn't have to be getting angry or frustrated. None of that has to be there. If you invest time, the times before you go hunting to teach this dog this, then somebody puts on the music and you both are going out there listening to it and playing and the birds don't have a chance. So uh, it's a real, it, it's a powerful thing. And if you do it, you, you won't, you know, you won't regret it. But you've got to understand, we're not punishing them at all. We're not, this is not a bad thing at all. We're teaching them, one, I don't want you ever to go any farther than that. And after we teach them that, then we teach them to take the responsibility. And the way you do that is by putting the hup nick right on the first time before they get too far. If you let a dog get too far from you in the upland field, you are telling them that that is okay. okay. I don't care what's in your mind. When you let the dog go 75 yards out and you don't like that, and now we're calling him back in, what do you, they can't learn a thing from that other than I don't know what he wants. I just kind of out here and take whatever comes. You don't have to have that. If you never let them get out of the range, then they learn what range is. If you let them get out of range and then bring them back, that's all that's happening is they go out and hunt, and then you bring them back, and then they go out and hunt, bring them back, and they can't really make sense of that. 
So I, for people that are connoisseurs of upland honey, I hope they find this useful. Um, or And I'll tell you, you know, just like my dogs that I've taken that are not retrievers, uh, they all know this stuff. And I don't always have to use electricity either on the hunting guys because that's a wild and crazy deal. That's the heroin fields. I do that. But dogs should know how far they can get from you and never go further than that. And they can learn to take responsibility so that you can actually go do your hike, do your walk, or do your hunt. And the dog does their part and you do your part and it's like super fun for everybody. That's very feasible, but you got to really understand what you're teaching your dog and how you're working with them. Okay, so that's today's. Uh, the next one, I'm going to probably have a G update. I hope we don't have wild crazy on birds and their sister's holding her point too. That would be nice. Um, and I'm going to talk about de-chasing. Uh, again, everybody thinks they have a de-chased dog. It, well, in the Triple Crown, almost all of them were. All the ones that passed were. It was, it was a beautiful thing to see. Uh, and so I want to just talk about how just regular people that aren't professional trainers, you know, regular hunters, you can have a dog that does not chase birds flying, birds on the ground, unless you want them to, and then you send them. So that'll be the next one. Meanwhile, everybody, the warmest, merriest Christmas to all of you. And I hope it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, weekend. And G and I will be back soon.